Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you. And our theme today is why the confusing in between is right where God wants you. But before I dive into this important topic, let me just mention that in the, on December 3rd from 11 to 3, we're having a, uh, a seminar, a conference, a workshop called The Leader's Marriage, As Goes the Marriage, So Goes the Church. And uh, for us, over the last 25 plus years, as we've developed emotionally healthy discipleship, if you are married, getting discipled in your marriage, especially as a leader, is a critically important task. There's very little out there about uh, discipleship and mentoring for leaders and pastors in this area. It's one of the great tragedies uh, of the church. And so let me invite you and perhaps your team as well to come to a, a development day on the leader's marriage. Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash marriage. Sign up. It's on a Thursday from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And Jerry and I will be leading that. and It'll be a great, I promise you, uh, deposit into your life. Uh, and again, feel free to uh, email me at askpete at emotionallyhealthy.org. Just a great way for me to get questions from you and as well as comments about the podcast and how it's impacting you. And I just love the two-way conversation. It's all very, very helpful. So again, our theme today is why the confusing in between is right where God wants you and why it's so important. Uh, now, just in, in, in this summary statement, it just it, because it connects us to loss and grief and there are treasures buried there. Uh, this actually is a season that we're living in uh, globally of great transformation possibilities for us personally and for the church at large, uh, if we would listen to God and cooperate with his process. And uh, what makes this such a confusing in-between moment uh, for us is that, of course, the global pandemic continues to rage around the world. Uh, so much, the world's changed. It's not the same world we were living in. I mean, just right now, up to the time of doing this podcast, we've had, uh, just in the United States alone, 237,000 deaths. Uh, and it looks like there'll be much more to come. I mean, that is uh, confusing in between. And then we've got a historic economic cl- collapse and a reordering of the economy, again, globally, that's still in process. Uh, and then at least here in the United States, which spread around the world, we had that shocking act of police brutality in uh, Minneapolis that ripped off scabs of at least America's racial divisions and the racial divisions around the world, uh, which led to all kinds of protests and civil unrest in towns and cities uh, from coast to coast. And then we've just experienced a presidential election, uh, one of the most divided elections and definitely in a generation, but a kind of a trench warfare. And even now that uh, it is over. There still is a, con- you know, people are contesting the election. It's, a, it's just a very messy time. So we find ourselves in the midst of seismic events globally, uh, not to mention other crises that are going on in different countries from Ethiopia to Southeast Asia, and all which involve loss and confusing in-betweens. And then on top of that, le- leading, leadership has losses all of its own. In fact, leaders, we experience a disproportionate number of losses compared to most other uh, lines of work. Uh, People that we invest in uh, leave our our ministries. Dreams that we have die. Leaders uh, and other staff move on or don't work out. Betrayals happen. Uh, Relationships shatters. Uh, And of course, the crisis going on in other people's lives takes a toll on us. 
And then we've got our own personal losses and confusing in-betweens that are just part of being a human being moving through the stages of life. And so you can't be a leader uh, in the church of Jesus Christ and expect to escape loss and confusing in-betweens. And again, ours are disproportionate, uh, I would say, to the general public. And I think God's, I believe God has good reasons for that, as you'll see in just a few moments. But somehow we got the idea that we could grow into spiritual maturity without learning to deal with what's called the confusing in between and learning to embrace that God's way. So I, 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 let me just take a few moments to talk about why I think that's so, why the reasons for that. And then I want to go into how do we how do we function? How do we move through this confusing in between in which we find ourselves, which will not be the last time it happens, you know, in our lives by any chance, any 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 uh, mark of the imagination. So there's two reasons. One is uh, we, we resist losing control. We, we don't we hate losing control, and Western control, culture is all about control, and that's why loss and grief in particular uh, is something we avoid at all costs. And our our value is. Control and ascent through life, uh, up and to the right, you know, and in everything. And when you talk about loss and confusion, we're talking about down and to the left. And uh, again, whether it's our ministries or sense of mastery over life, and so therefore it's, we want to we want to deny it, minimize it, move on. Uh, some defensive maneuver to get away from it and get control of it. And and again, it's very it's a very grown up thing to do to finally come to a fact of. We're not in control and never were in the first place. But then there's also a, a, a second big reason why this is such a difficult topic for us is that we, we just have a faulty theology around interruptions to our plans. Uh, I know I saw for most of my Christian life grief and loss and confusing in-betweens as an obstacle to my path with Jesus and my service to Jesus. And I consider it a waste of time. Uh, and you know this was not a good redemption of the time. And uh, in fact, my whole attitude towards people who were struggling with loss and grief and and confusing in betweens was, you know, basically get over it. You know, let's move on with God and quote some good biblical verses, which are true, uh, but not applicable in that situation. And so I, I would pressure other people to get back to normal. Let's get, let's let's get the ministry back to where we were and let's go moving on. And again, that's when you're in a confusing in between. Uh, that's that's one of the last things you want to do, because the question is, what's God doing, and how do I cooperate with Him in that? It's been said uh, by many an artist over the centuries that all of life can be seen as a growth in the art of loss, uh, of letting go, uh, which actually culminates in the moment when we will actually lose everything and see Him face to face. And so, this learning to welcome confusing in betweens. And holding sorrow and grief before God is actually central to the work of discipleship. And it is central, of course, to the work of leadership. So we're in a critical moment right now. Historically, I I believe God is doing something. And uh, we're right where God wants us if we will listen to him. So where are you today? And Walter Brueggemann years ago wrote a a tremendous book on Psalms. And he talked about the the, the three movements uh, of the Psalms that are repeated over and over again is there's psalms that we start with orientation, then they move to disorientation, and then they come back to reorientation. And you look at, you can see that in the psalms, and actually you see it in the Christian life, we're oriented, we're secure, everything's going good, then all of a sudden we're dislocated. We find ourselves in dis- or, or disorientation. We're baffled, we're bewildered, we're overwhelmed. 
But as we stay with God, we find ourselves eventually back in reorientation into a new place uh, with God and where he's taking us. In fact, you could look at the history of God's people and see that, that flow of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. We see it in the people of Israel from when they're delivered from Egypt and find themselves in the wilderness or on, in, the, in the promised land. It's consistent orientation, disorientation, reorientation. You can look at the 12 disciples, same thing. You see that same movement. Look at Moses and other greats in the, uh, in the scriptures. And God's saying, this is, this is the pattern of the Christian life. And you're actually, we're actually following Jesus and, uh, in the death and burial and resurrection orientation. Disciples were oriented, then they got disoriented. Uh, and then resurrection, they reoriented. And uh, that's the path of Jesus, and that's our path as well. And uh, listen, I don't know why God allows suffering and evil. It's the great mystery of the universe. But I do know this, that uh, it is something happens profound in us, uh, in the depths of who we are, uh, in disorientation, in the confusing in between. I like what one great Austrian spiritual director wrote in the 1800s, all deepened life is deepened suffering. All deepened life is deepened suffering. And as Jean-Pierre de Cossade wrote years ago, that great Jesuit uh, writer, God instructs the heart not through ideas, but through suffering and adversity. Uh, God instructs the heart not through ideas, but through suffering and adversity. I know it's not the way you want to learn. It's not the way I want to learn either, but it is clearly the way God makes his servants and develops into mature men and women and builds his church and builds his people into a robust people who are able to stand amidst the vicissitudes and confusions of life. I, I like what John of the Cross wrote so beautifully in Dark Night of the Soul that that it, it's through, again, dark nights, through the disorientations, through the confusing in-betweens that uh, are idolatries about who God is and our, our, our following of God that's based on our feelings gets ripped apart. And uh, we easily, he writes, become attached to our feelings of and about God, so much so that we equate them with God. It's one of the most common idolatries, he writes, in the spiritual life. And uh, But we're not attached to God himself. And again, suffering as a means of just pulling that out of us. So uh, let me just talk to you today and, and, and offer to you what I've been offering to a number of pastors in these difficult days we're living in, and that is why this confusing in between is so right where God wants us. And then how do we actually do it? How, how, how do I function uh, when my feelings and my internal uh, life is in its own turmoil? Uh, so let me let me invite you to, to three phases of grief and loss, and I want to bring them back to you because they are the way to stay in the confusing in between so that God brings something wonderful and beautiful out of it for you and for those around you. So I would encourage you to memorize these three phases uh, and put them in your pocket uh, to anchor you uh, when you find yourself just being swept aside. It's paying attention. Uh, to your feelings, paying attention to what's going on inside of you, and then it's it's waiting on God in the confusing in between, and then letting the old birth the new. Thirdly, so again, I'll say it again: it's paying attention to your feelings. It is waiting on God in the confusing in between, staying with Him, and then thirdly, it's letting God birth the new out of the old. So let me just take them one by one, expound on them, and hopefully apply them to where we are today. So again, it begins with you know. This confusing in between, what do I do? Well, first, I got to pay attention to my feelings, so what's happening inside of me. Now, we see this, of course, 
in David uh, in the Psalm, 150 Psalms. And uh, if, you've, if you've not spent time praying the Psalms, let me invite you to do that. Uh, it just let it help you learn to feel before God. And again, we see David in the full gamut of rage, depression, suicide, doubt, uh, joy, dancing. He's he's everywhere, but he does it. He's paying attention to him. He's so human. He's so alive. Uh, he's not repressed or suppressed. We see the same thing in the book of Job, uh, 35 chapters of Job. He's just ranting. He's wild prayers. He's shouting at God, but he's honest. He's transparent and uh, he's telling God exactly how he feels. We see the same thing in Jeremiah. We see the same thing in, in, in Jesus himself. And it's just so unlike our uh, so much in our churches. Uh, and, and our culture just, again, also resists this and avoids it. And we don't have a lot of theology for anger and sadness and confusion and waiting and depression. And so we, we just follow the culture and the church into distractions and addictions and anger at people aren't taking our pain away. And, uh, you know, depression, that's Maybe it's not a medical depression, but it's actually a result of just years and years of just minimizing uh, what's going on around us, the realities of loss and failure and disappointment. And uh, we've got so many uh, of folks in our churches who are just almost like dull and uh, unresponsive to the reality happening on around them. And and so we've got this rule like don't talk, don't don't feel, stuff it. You know, and sadly, our religious cultures put another layer on that and we get busy uh, and we feel guilty about feeling guilty and shame. And, and, and so we have people that when they're going through a really confusing time and uh, feeling just tremendous loss and grief, the last place they want to go is church. And uh, because church is where you fake it and you pretend and they feel like they can't pretend anymore. And we just forget that Jesus himself models for us. I mean, he in the Garden of Gethsemane is, again, one of the most important texts for us. And and that we see Jesus uh, on his face before the Father. He's confused. He's discouraged. He is prostate. Uh, and he's the Messiah. He's the Lord. He's the leader. Um, and, you know, do leaders get uh, confused and discouraged and hurt and do they fall on their faces absolutely look at jesus and uh jesus is is fully god and fully human he's just like us uh but he doesn't stuff it he, he gets it out before the father and the weight of his depression or troublingness of, of the confusion of not i don't want to drink this cup but not my will but your will but he, he says i feel so bad i could die and and this is god in the flesh and uh it's interesting how in church history uh some People wanted to reject this fleshly, human, struggling Gethsemane Jesus uh, because it just didn't fit with what they felt spirituality was all about. And the early church uh, refused to cut those, cut that chapter out because it was so important to spirituality. And so we need to give permission to ourselves and those around us to actually grieve biblically like Jesus, like David, like Job. I mean, for me, what this has looked like in, in Again, these, these these waves just coming over us of crises after crises and, and dislocation after dislocation, disorientation after disorientation. And, and you say, well, it's going to end here. It's going to end here. I, I, I don't think so. I, I think that we're in a season where God is up to something way bigger than we could ever imagine. And so I've had to take extra time for myself to, uh, to feel before the Lord and journal uh, and so one of the great exercises we do in uh, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship is called Explore the Iceberg. And I encourage you as a pastor or leader to, to do it on your own and get a journal out in the morning and, and just ask yourself these four questions. You know, what am I mad about? What am I angry about? 
And then second question is, what am I sad about? And just begin to list them. And then what am I afraid of? What am I anxious about? And just take some time and just get it out, you know, before the Lord. And then lastly is, what am I glad about? And I love that skill, explore the iceberg. There's much, much, much more to it. It's in the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course. But to start, what are you angry about? What are you sad about? What are you anxious about? And what are you glad about? And that's why I'm, I'm, I listen to my body, what's happening in my body. And, and because again, I, you may have heard this phrase from me before, the body is not a minor prophet, it's a major prophet. In other words, our bodies often in touch before our, our minds are about what we're feeling inside of us. And so that's why silence and stillness before the Lord is such an important uh, spiritual practice, especially in these days. You know, again, I love Habakkuk 2.20, uh, the Lord is in his holy temple, that all the earth be silent before him. And he's saying that in the midst of Habakkuk's confusion, in the midst of Israel's confusion, the Babylonians are about to sweep through and raise and wipe out the country. Because there are gems, there are hidden treasures in the trash and the unlovely, that which smells so bad. There's, And I'll talk about that in just a moment. But I've got to, first, I've got to, the first phase, I've got to feel it. I've got to pay attention to it, uh, to my feelings before the Lord. But then there's a second uh, phase in this confusing in between, which is so critical. And that is I wait on God. I wait before the Lord in this confusing in between. In other words, I don't rush it. I don't fix it. Uh, I wait on God in it. I mean, this is, again, this is a th- biblical theme all through scripture. We see it in Israel, in Babylon, waits. Uh, they wait 70 years, actually, uh, until God brings them back to the land. And even that slow process, either call to over and over again to wait on the Lord. The Psalms are all about waiting. David's waiting on the Lord in the midst of him being hunted by Saul and his enemies and uh, in the midst of, you know, even repenting in Psalm 51. He's he's coming to the Lord. He's waiting on the Lord and the confusing in between. Um, we see this in Job. That's one of my favorite texts where Job loses everything, right? He loses his health. He loses his family. He loses his reputation. He loses his ministry, in a sense. Everything is pulled out from under him. Uh, and he prays these wild prayers, but he does it before the Lord. And he waits on the Lord in this confusing in between. But then he's got these three friends, Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad, uh, who come to him. And he's in the 35 chapters in the middle of his Job, which is the bulk of the book of Job, you've got him arguing and battling with these three religious friends of his who are quoting Bible verses, but they're quoting them out of context, and they're saying, Job, you're suffering because you sinned. Trouble comes to those who sin. Whatever you reap, you sow. You must have sowed something sinful. You need to repent. And the problem is uh, that Job's suffering is not a result of his sin. Uh, It's inexplicable. Uh, But they're classic religious folks and legalists. Uh, you're not living a good life. You haven't prayed enough. You haven't fasted enough. You're not holy enough. You don't read the Bible enough. You're, you're suffering more because you've sinned more. The problem is what they were saying it wasn't true. And Job is an innocent and a good sufferer. But they have no room for a theology of the confusing in between. They have no sense of mystery and I don't know. And if any book attacks religion, uh, it is the book of Job. I, mean, I think the life of David attacks religion because David's is a spirituality of imperfection. But at least Job, in that confusing in between, as he's as he's with God, he's asking questions. Uh, he doesn't have answers, but he's asking questions. Uh, their sin is they think they have the answer and they don't. They're playing God. 
uh, and they're standing in God's shoes, and they're also sinning against Job. In fact, they're tormenting Job. That's why some people, uh, when you're in suffering and difficulty, when they come to you and quote scripture, you actually feel worse, not better. But the whole book of Job, and I would argue the whole Bible, is a protest against religion that reduces God to explanations and answers. And so we find ourselves, we don't know what's going on around us. I mean, the world is shifting under our feet. Um, And if the three friends of Job had been more wise, they would have been more silent. They started out silent the first seven days with Job. And they would have been very cautious in giving advice. They would have been present with him. But it goes to the heart of waiting on the Lord. And, and again, we're back to silence and stillness and why and solitude and why this is a critical spiritual practice for us to be deepening in these days, personally and as God's people around the world. Um, in fact, I'm in the middle of studying the a Gospel of Mark and, and in a manuscript study. And I'm, I was so struck by Jesus at the end of that first day in Capernaum in Mark 135, where he Early in the morning, he pulls away to go be alone with the Father. Uh, but he has to get perspective. He's got to get grounded. And uh, he's able to say to Peter and disciples when they come and say, everyone's looking for you. Come on, we got a revival going on here in Capernaum. But Jesus is anchored. He's not swept away by it because he's been waiting on the Father. And uh, and he just says, no, we must go to other cities also. But for him, silence and stillness and solitude before the Father, that waiting was so foundational for his ministry, not just for waiting until the moment came uh, of starting his ministry at 30, but even throughout his ministry. And so it must be for us. Listen, uh, waiting in the confusing in between, the second phase, This we're talking about being powerless, but you know we're powerless because we can't fix it. Right now, the confusing in between that, and you're probably in multiple ones right now, uh, they're gifts. They're actually a treasure. It may be our greatest treasure because when we're feeling powerless, we're actually poor in spirit. You know, that's the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now we, the first thing we want to do when we're feeling powerless is we want to get rid of it. We want to like, this is the last thing I want to do. And I got to, I got to do something so I don't feel so powerless. But yet this is the moment where actually God's doing something in us. This is a great moment. Because we really are powerless, and he really is powerful. Uh, And our hope is in God, not in a certain outcome uh, of what he's got to do. It's just our hope is in God, that he is the hope. And this is the place we learn hope. But then out of this, there's a third phase. So I, I, in this confusing in between, let me invite you. You want to pay attention. You want to slow down, pay attention. What's going on inside of me? What am I feeling? And just regularly bring that before the Lord. And secondly, you want to wait on him in this confusing in between. You're waiting in a posture, actually, of poor poverty of spirit, of powerlessness. You don't try to get rid of it. You just you stay there uh, with the Father and with yourself, uh, and God's doing something in you, which I'll explain in just a moment. And then thirdly, you let the third phase, which is you let the old birth the new. In other words, you let the old birth the new, that, that it's not just I stay in this place of the old forever or stuckness forever by any means. God always brings resurrection out of death. There's always something new that comes of the old. Again, we see this all through biblical history, right? It, whether it's Israel, whether it's 12 disciples, and the death and resurrection of Jesus, and the book of Job. Um, and, you know, Job, Job comes out there. He comes out of 35 chapters, months, probably years of waiting in this confusing in between. But it comes out prospered, different 
new possessions, new family. He lives to 140 years old. So he sees his children to the fourth generation. And he's, he's a broken and he's, he's a changed man. Uh, it's one of the great themes there. And God calls Job my servant. And Job's able to actually bless his three friends uh, who were torturing him with their religion. Uh, but if we don't let the old birth the new, we don't walk through this confusing process, uh, we end up getting locked in time. Uh, we end up getting stuck. And what's sad is our churches remain stuck. Uh, we, we, we become rigid. Uh, and actually physical ailments happen in our bodies on a personal level. But we miss experiencing the life of God happening all around us. And so many new things do not come forth. And the church never grows up. And we are in a moment where God is seeking to do something to really grow us as his church. I mean, what a moment we're living in. But here's some of the gifts. If you'll, if you'll stay with God in this confusing in between, some of the gifts that are going to come forth is one is, is your, your self-will or need to control is going to get more broken. Uh, your self-will will, will be more broken. I mean, it says Jesus, though he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Uh, again, as I said earlier, that suffering uh, is, I don't know if there's another way to be transformed uh, biblically in my own personal life and what I've observed over the, over the decades. Uh, it's that confusing in-between times that are moments when God does a deep work in us. And in fact, uh, he makes us softer and more compassionate through the grief that comes in confusing in-betweens. Uh, there's a line we don't cross uh, in the mystery of God. Uh, we have to unlearn so much about control and about our the l- limits of our intellect, that God is good and his love endures forever. Uh, you may know that the day you come to Christ, but it will, we will spend eternity knowing God is good and his love endures forever. The most compassionate people I know are those who have suffered and have walked through God's phases of suffering, paying attention to their feelings, uh, waiting on God with them, and then letting the old birth the new. Sadly, the church, we're not known as great compassionate people uh, that people think of us as judgmental. Uh, one of the ways I am one of the ways God is getting at us and God's getting at the inner core of his church around the world right now is. Uh, he is moving us to a place of depth. He is dismantling some of our religious um, scaffolding that we've put up. And he is, I mean, do you realize he shut the whole church down around the world pretty much simultaneously? I mean, now things are opening up some, and uh, but we're, we're still in that difficult moment uh, as the church. But there's a dismantling and a, and, a re- and a rebuilding God is doing. And listen, it's confusing Absolutely, because something old is be, is gone and something new is emerging. And you can try to uh, package what you did before and keep it going. Uh, but the problem with that is that you will not experience the emptying God's trying to do in you and in the church that you're serving. Uh, because you see, you understand, you, we've got to be emptied of the junk that is in us so God has space to fill us. And in emptying, we created this holy vacancy for God, allowing him to fill us. And uh, loss creates space for God to come in and pour in and hope is birth. And, and God gives us revelations of himself and the confusing in between. I mean, that's I mean, the kind of biblical theme of, of God coming in the whirlwinds, whether it's Ezekiel, whether it's Jeremiah, whether it's Isaiah, whether it's, um, you know, again, Job, God, God gives us revelations of himself in the storms. 
and we're in one. Uh, and you don't want to rush out of it. You want God to bring you out of it in the right moment. Uh, so God gives us greater revelations of himself, but he also gives us greater revelations of ourselves, of who we are, of our true selves versus our false selves. And uh, I mean, so much of, uh, we talk a lot about the true self versus the false self in, in emotionally healthy discipleship. And initially when we begin to introduce people to what are some symptoms of the false self, uh, often leaders and pastors and people will look at me and say, what, what are you, like, oh my gosh, like they had no idea that some of their posturing or fear of what people think or decisions they're making is so much coming out of a place not anchored and centered in God, uh, but actually uh, out of a false self of trying to look like a certain way for other people. And uh, confusing in between and the suffering and losses that come with it have as are places where God gives us a greater revelation of ourselves. And he actually makes us more of our true self. He makes us more alive. Again, if we stay with him in the process and can grow comfortable with not being in control. And I love that Jesus and, you know, Jesus shows us and uh, his uh, confusing in between in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, the place of prayer. I mean, Confusing in-betweens are places we learn to actually really pray, uh, really be dependent, uh, really about limits, uh, and prayer is that important, and and your prayer life will be transformed. It's interesting because Peter, James, and John who are with them in Gethsemane. They don't pray. They fall asleep, uh, and Peter ends up coming out of that and cutting off ears, striving because he, he, he wasn't learning that lesson of prayer as they were in a confusing in-between, but he didn't want to accept it. Uh, and I know because I've done it often myself. So let me invite you to, to persevere, to stay with God like Job and David and Abraham and Joseph and Moses and Jeremiah and Jesus. That the confusing in between is right where God wants you. And let your stony heart be broken so Jesus can enter. Because God's going to use your pain to teach you. And he's going to use your pain to make you a gift to others. I love Isaiah uh, 43 where the Lord says, uh, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Wasteland. And so God's calling you. God's calling the church. He's calling us to to. And in that context of, of Isaiah 43, was to leave Babylon, make changes. I'm doing something new, and may God give you grace to respond to Him to the new things He's doing in and around you through this confusing in between. So let me encourage you again, feel free to send me an email at askpete at emotionallyhealthy.org. Any questions you're carrying or comments you want to make to me. And again, let me invite you to uh, our seminar on the leader's marriage. As goes the leader's marriage, so goes the church on December 3rd, uh, 11 to 3. Just go to, Jerry and I will be leading that. Just go look us up at emotionallyhealthy.org slash marriage. Make an investment in your own discipleship as a leader, pastor, uh, that you might lead out of the overflow of your interior life and your marriage as well. So God bless you, everybody. Thank you. It's been great to be with you. You have a wonderful, wonderful day.